Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Found Down podcast. Woo! I'm back. I made it back from Morocco, made it safe and sound. We had such a great time on our nurses retreat. It was a magical experience and it was so good to get outside of the United States. Everybody got an opportunity to unwind. It was phenom. It was fun. It was it was such a great time. If you are interested in going next year, uh, you should go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up on the email list to make sure that you get looped in about what's going to happen and when that's going to be. Thank you for putting up with my absence. For those of you that listen to the show every week, I appreciate you for tuning in and we'll be back to our regular programming. So I appreciate you. If you want to support Found Down, one great way to do that is to rate and review and subscribe on whatever platform you listen It certainly helps the podcast go up the ranks. It helps its visibility. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and rate and review. I would so appreciate it. Leave an honest review on whatever platform you listen. Thank you in advance. Now I want to talk about our amazing sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and Educator. You know, I talk about her a lot on the show, but I really do believe in what she's up to. She has all kinds of courses where you can get CEs, such as like the CCRN review certification course, the PCCN certification review. She's got cardiac boot camp, cardiac med certification, dodging delirium, hemodynamic monitoring, mechanical ventilation and stroke review. She has a bunch of books also available, and she does a lot of online uh, webinars and um, Zoom courses. So if you're interested, go over to NicoleCupchickConsulting.com and check out her products and resources available for nurses. You can get CEs and you can learn and you can improve your practice um, by getting to know what's current out there. So go over to NicoleCupchickConsulting.com and you can use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 at checkout. That's found all lowercase FOUNDDOWN two zero to get 20% off at checkout. All right, that wraps up the business side of things. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode with Emily Tapalanchik, a nursing supervisor at a local COVID-19 quarantine facility. Enjoy. 
Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so stoked because I'm talking to Emily Topolanchik. She's a new nursing supervisor at a local COVID-19 quarantine facility. So I brought her on the show to talk to her about what that's been like. She started this job. She took this job in addition to her other job as an acute care nurse, but I'm really interested to hear what this work has been like how it's impacted the community and what she's gleaned. Um, But before we get into anything, how are you, Emily? And welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on here. Um, I am so honored to join the storied people who have been on your podcast. And thank you for letting me share. Um, I'm... I like your question because you're like, how are you doing really? And, you know, I... I would say that, gosh, like sometimes I am so tired, um, but I would say this job is also so much of part of my, my like social circle now. Um, like there's a real community at work and also outside of it, um, just so we can like debrief with each other. And um, yeah. Sometimes it, it's it's kind of like a baseball game at work. You know, sometimes it, it's uh, it's smooth sailing, everything's going well, but then like you gotta hustle because like the home run is coming or something something is happening, so you're hustling. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, just just doing well, rowing with the flow, going down the river. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> share with the audience out there. Emily legitimately has two full-time nursing jobs. I don't know how. I don't know how you do it, uh, but I am in awe of what it is you're doing because um, you work as an acute care nurse, and then you also have this really amazing job as well. How, I know we didn't talk about talking about this, but how are you finding your balance in all of that? Are you, is there a balance? Um, well, like realistically know the things that I used to do when I only worked one job I don't do like I don't go out hiking I don't go for long vacations um I've switched to being able to like invest almost 80 percent of my income over the past wow year and a half so that's making me feel really good. My, my goal is to be work optional within like three to five years. Um, and then just work when I want during like the flu season, or, you know, you take a travel job for a couple for like six months out of the year or a cruise job, um, something like that. So that's the ultimate goal and like reason why I am working so much. Um, but also when the pandemic hit, I didn't want to socialize, um, wasn't sure (laughs) what I should do. And, um, you know, when this extra opportunity popped up, I was like, all right, let's hop on that. And that has, that has become 
like a, a huge part of my social circle now. That's great. So you're uh-huh. getting a lot out of it, it seems. Yeah. Um, a lot of networking, a lot of connections, learning so much, learning like the side of public health, nursing, program management, um, you know, just like overall operational improvements. Um, it's, it's a very different side of, you know, just improvement processes as well. Cool. How, and, and how did you get involved with, like, when you saw this opportunity, how did you decide, like, oh, I want to work at a COVID-19 quarantine facility? I tested it out first. Okay. <laughs> so um, usually every county around the country has a medical reserve corps. It's, um, it's like a, a group or a basket of medical professionals who are able to be deployed to a response, usually like locally in the county if, if there's an emergency. Um, so our, our local medical reserve corps put out a call for people who they needed more staff at these facilities. Um, so I had joined in 2014, did a couple of like local missions with them. I'm a ham radio operator with them. Um, so I signed up for a few shifts, uh, did some night shifts and, uh, was kind of shuffled around to where they needed staff and, you know, saw how the flow was and gosh, this is super interesting. And we have nurses from all different walks of life, all different um, areas of nursing, like pediatrics, ER, home care nurses, wound care nurses. So it's almost, it's a meeting of the minds. You know, everybody is, we're all here for our, like our different reasons of being curious and, you know, being gung-ho about it after we try it out. Um, and everyone has just so many different skills to bring to the table. So it's fun to bounce ideas around of like what we should do. Our scope of practice is, it is limited. You know, we're, we are, our function is to help people quarantine safely. So that could be 10 days. It could be 14 days. It could be only three days because they've been in the hospital and they still need to quarantine for three days before they go wherever they go. Um, but whatever they need to quarantine safely, that's what we do. And outside of that scope, we like, we don't have an outside scope of that. Um, because these folks should like, in theory, not need, they're just like civilians in a hotel sort of, or they're just in a place where they are convalescing a little bit and like, but you're not supposed to be like nursing them. Right. Because then that goes into like, oh, you got to go to like to a, a higher hospital, a higher, care. Le- a higher level of care. Got it. Yeah, exactly. So we serve, um, you know, right now, a lot of our individuals, we usually about get 80 percent of our population is unhoused. Um, so maybe they're coming from jail and they need a shelter or they're coming from a shelter or they're coming from an ER and they're unhoused and we will um, do our best to set them up with, with shelter. Um, 
but otherwise we expect them to be independent in ADLs, uh, independent in transfers. So they could use a walker, um, a wheelchair, as long as they're independent in using it. Um, and their SpO2 needs to be above 93. If it's 93 or below, they got to get shipped out. Got it. Okay. And um, are some of these folks like not positive and just like waiting to, yeah, so some of them are positive and some of them aren't, right? After the vaccines came out, now if you are, if an individual is fully vaccinated and has an exposure, they do not need to quarantine. But previously, um, you know, earlier this year, like January, February, our policies and procedures, like per the CDC, where if you did have an exposure, um, you do need to quarantine, usually about 10 days from your exposure date, unless someone develops symptoms. Mm -hmm. So if they were symptomatic, they were tested at that time. And then if they tested positive, it's 10 days from the symptom onset date or 10 days from positive date if they're negative. So we follow the CDC guidelines as they evolve. Mm -hmm. Now for the folks that, so, but most of the folks that are positive, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Do you have ever have any fear around that? Like, did you ever feel like, you know, I mean, I know a lot of nurses out there have worked with COVID positive patients now, but like, how was that for you? Early on, um, you know, like, like early 2020, April through June, um, I would say, you know, our exposure time to our guests is not long. We do most of the assessment over the phone. Um, how are you feeling? What do you need? Where do you plan to go when you leave here? And then our in-person assessment is vital sign check and then you know, bullshitting and being human with them. Um, so usually that's less than 15 minutes. Uh, so I wasn't worried when, when, and we had enough PPE, we were reusing masks, but we didn't, we didn't run out of things. Um, we had re, um, we still have gowns that can be laundered. Oh, okay. And then, um, um, uh, but later on when we learned about the COVID long haulers, that's when it really set in like, you know, you're really thinking about infection control. Once I got vaccinated, like I felt so relieved, but you know, we can't, you can't get sloppy. You can't let your guard down. Even now, some guests will come up like close to the staff area, um, and hey, like they can wait a few more minutes until I put my goggles on or like put my mask on. Now we all have these fanny packs with our PPE in it. So it's right on our person. Um, you know, because sometimes people want to talk. People need to get something off their chest um, when they just came from smoking outside, something like that. So um, I'd say, you know, my fear has fluctuated. Um, but I'm, I'm still like an anal stickler about putting on my PPE, no matter like, cause you never know what the conversation is going to turn into and you don't want to like make them feel that they're unimportant. So yeah. I try to always 
I'm just <clears throat> thinking about, man, still you probably are maybe the only human interaction that they'll have, right? For Exactly. Quarantine is hard. It's not for everyone, you know, and a lot of people come from a congregate setting. So they're in a shelter. Um, you know, they can have someone else watch their kids for a while so they could take a break. Um, or, you know, they're, they can interact with people whenever they want here. They're either in their room taking a bath, which we have bathtubs. I think that's great. Um, or they're outside smoking or outside like pseudo smoking and walking around. But yeah, the human interaction during quarantine is essential. You know, some people really need it and they, they want to talk with behavioral health that we have on staff and, um, or they'll, they'll talk for a long time when we come to the door, uh, tell us what's going on in their lives. Some people have a lot of drama going on, a lot of trauma from the past that they've experienced, things that they're worried about that they spill to you. Um, and, but then, you know, Sometimes we get individuals who do love the solitude and that's what they need. And it could be a rejuvenation for them. But yeah, you bring up a good point, especially for our younger guests. It's, it's a tough situation. Yeah. I mean, are there, so it sounds like there are sometimes families all in one room. Yeah. Um, they, we have family shelters in the area, and if there's an exposure at the shelter or if someone uh, is positive, um, the county has a mobile testing unit that will go around to different shelters when requested. Um, so we'll often get a few intakes from the, the same shelter after an exposure. So you know there could be families of up to eight in two joining rooms or if had a um, family of five in one room. Um, or, you know, like a single parent with the kids and that's tough. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to get that from, you know, a more holistic perspective because, and especially that person needs more resources. That person needs more time outside. Um, we can provide toys, um, coloring books, like words. Um, to help, but um, so you know, especially for people like who are still developing coping skills, and I think that's a, where our behavioral health staff really come in. Um, I'll talk about wraparound services that we provide a bit later on, um, but we really want to provide so much support that we can to those individuals, to everybody. Now, who? Like, um, did these facilities exist or were these facilities that were like hotels that are co-opted now by the county? Like, can you talk a little bit about how these facilities got implemented? Mm-hmm. Uh, so early in the pandemic, they began with assessment and recovery centers. So other towns um, kind of lent land where um, not where structures could be placed that had um, 
bunch of cots with privacy and bathrooms in them. Um, the idea was that those sites would offload individuals from hospitals, that they would take individuals who did not need acute care and didn't need to be in the hospital, but needed to be watched. They could go, you know, they could go south, but they didn't need to be in the hospital. It was a way for them to convalesce. Um, like ultimately, I don't know why those ultimately closed or went warm and uh, they decided to move to leasing and purchasing uh, motels in the area. Um, you know, from an infection control standpoint as well, um, it's safer, the doors open to the outside and, and there are green spaces for people to be able to go outside to smoke, walk around, stretch your legs, get some sort of exercise while still being safe and within our like, field of vision. Um, so originally the county had um, two assessment and recovery centers that then went warm or closed. And then they had three different isolation and quarantine sites. Currently they are down to one. Um, I think it's a, an 80 some bed facility. Mm. And you know, we could always add more cots in there. And for anyone who needs to be off site, um, uh, they can they can stay in another hotel or motel room. Hmm. Um, you know, we kind of it, it seems siloed. You know, this is so new, right? There's no as I, from what I searched, I can't find like an association of isolation and quarantine centers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, a, a read about one in Miami, uh, Miami used, uh, nursing homes for, for people from other nursing homes who tested positive to go into, they had like a COVID centered nursing home. That was their model. Um, but I, I just think it would so, be so interesting to have kind of like a centralized repository where different centers share what they're doing and share their resources. Yeah. What are the, um, what is your sort of impression of the facilities that you, that you're at? Do you feel like it's robust enough for like the need or, I mean, sorry, let me back up. Do you feel like are, we have enough room for folks who need the space or do we, do we need this? It's just an aside question, but do we need more room for folks out there? Or are you? Um, as it currently stands, oh yes, we have room and it is such a robust, uh, like quality control and such a robust offering of wraparound services. Um, I will say, you know, we, we take individuals who tested positive in an ER or at a shelter mm -hmm. or, you know, from another testing site. Um, but, you know, something that we also have to think about, um, you know, anecdotally, testing rates have decreased. Um, so that also affects our intake as well. 
So if we if we did have a more robust uh, like testing rate in the area or in the state, right? Mm-hmm. I think I I hope we would get a lot more individuals who needed these services. Um, so it kind of depends on that, you know. There is there is this like supply chain, if you will. Yeah. That yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you're right. They got to know who's positive. Get a first test, then know who's positive, and then you can get folks to the right place. Can you mm. let me switch gears a little bit and talk about the UW did a impact study on the quarantine facilities on like the impact on infection and community spread. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, and obviously no pressure to, <laughs> to spout the data right <laughs> off the of top of your head. <laughs> sure. Um, and I, I think this is accessible on, on YouTube. Um, if you guys search, um, see it's an innovative solution to an unprecedented challenge for graduate students uh, did an impact study um, from March to December of 2020 so there they were using that time era of data uh, to see what impacts quarantine facilities had on the greater community um, because with this model we really, we really serve the local community. Um, we're not taking like, many travelers. We're not taking people from from outside. So it really is like community impactful. Um, so there were four graduate students. Uh, so look up that title on YouTube. I'll, I'll link uh, it up. Oh, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So they did a little bit of history of why quarantine facilities were implemented and um, I don't know what modeling strategy they used, but they looked at the rate spread and then they did four different models from very conservative to least conservative. And they looked at that, that like rate of spread across generations of infections. So, you know, like sometimes people can quarantine for 10 days or seven days or four days and some people don't quarantine successfully and leave, right? Um, so they found the two of their outcomes were like number of cases prevented and then number of hospitalizations prevented. So the most- That was so have- cool. I loved looking at that. Sorry, sorry, keep going. Oh, it's like such a relief to see, you know, these were like tangible numbers of like, oh goodness, like we are- having like a greater impact we see it one by one with people who like are no longer symptomatic or you know we see people who finally have a place to go or they have all their questions answered uh or uh this with the vaccine we've been able to when we discharge individuals we have the transportation we have the transportation take them to a vaccination site, they get vaccinated, the transportation waits for them after their appointment, and then the transportation takes them to their final destination. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. amazing. 
I know. That is I amazing. Know. That is amazing. But let's let's go back to the numbers though, because I, I read this and I was like, this is so awesome. At a minimum, the conservative amount of like infection prevented was like two thousand almost three thousand cases, right? Two upwards of yeah. twenty thousand, right? Twenty five twenty five. Yeah. That is almost twenty so cool. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. And like being on the ground, you know, the data that they're using is only so good as what we on the ground input in the chart to like give them the, the, the data to work with, with the demographics or making sure everything is in the right place. Um, so like realizing what can happen on the ground with data quality. And then, yeah, so their most conservative was like 5,000 cases prevented. And then least conservative was 20, almost 25,000 cases prevented, like just in that short amount of time from March through December. Hospitalizations was great as well. Least conservative, like 300 hospitalizations prevented. So, and then the, the top number was a little bit more than 1,000 hospitalizations prevented. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, we would feel that. We would definitely feel that 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 extra burden because um, there, as you know, there are only so many hospital beds, and of those who could have been hospitalized, you know that so many of those would have been ended up in the ICU. So, um, I just want to say, like, it's just cool to look at that data and just say that obviously is why you're doing the work that you're doing, right? Because they're you're helping the greater good um, by keeping people safe. Um, just feels good. Yeah, it does feel really good to have that bigger picture. Um, Cause you know, sometimes our scope is so small. So to see how these can impact hospitals and, and impact like the rest of the community and decrease community spread ultimately, you know, that's our goal. So it looks like we're hitting it. How has it been for you lately? I mean, so Obviously, we're on the down tick of the Delta wave. Um, do you? Can you feel it a little bit? Like it's not so yeah, we so crazy. This, the census has been decreasing. Um, maybe July through September, uh, we had almost a full house all of those months. Um, but now we're on the downturn. Originally, when when individuals came with what, what we assume is Delta, right? It's like eighty percent of of the lab tests now. Um, people came in with all the symptoms, all of them. Like like we were like checking everyone down. Uh, so a lot of symptom management. Um, but now, not so much. So it definitely comes in waves and it makes us all like think about our job security as well. Like, you know, this is temporary. Like um, we have, we have end dates. Um, I think uh, this particular location may be funded through March, um, but you never know. It, it just depends on the fluctuating need. Hmm. So maybe an uptick in January after the holidays. So you never know. Oh, I, I hope not. 
That would be really unfortunate. I hope not. Uh, um, can we talk a little bit about you? You mentioned in the beginning of this episode that there, like, a lot of it's like playing baseball, and like occasionally you have to go run because you're gonna get, you have to go catch the ball because um, there's go or there's you're gonna you know do a home like there's gonna be a home run. Um, when it, when is it like you're like can you give an example of like a uh oh things got a little nutty and and now you're on yeah so um you know we we know what we have to do throughout the day and we all have our, our routine of how we check in um and when that is deviated from it can affect the care we give to others. Right. Um, so for example, um, you know, we, we use a harm reduction model. This means that we can have individuals on managed alcohol plans. Um, we, we don't want people to, it, if people are, detoxing and experiencing withdrawal symptoms while they're sick or symptomatic or positive, uh, we just want them to be as safe as possible. So um, we can support them in, in using their consumption of choice, whether that be managed alcohol, um, whether they need to be put on a boot pathway, suboxone, um, or if they, if they choose to keep using their substances, we can give them harm reduction kits, like a clean hit kit. Um, so that's really cool. By the way, I like that you're, I like that that's the model because you're, that's how you're obviously you're going to keep people quarantined. It's not your yeah. job to say, Hey, this is the time you're going to quit drinking or quit using. No, no. And we meet them where we are where they are. Um, it's, it's a time for all of us to like think about our bias as well. Um, and provide non-judgmental care for, for a lot of our population. Maybe they haven't had the greatest interaction with healthcare providers. So we just provide a moment that for them to relax and like not receive judgmental care. But, um, you know, sometimes, um, for those times when like the home run is coming or when you find yourself running around the field, I think it, it happens with a lot of boundary setting that needs to be done, uh, with, with some of our individuals, uh, we'll have individuals who leave against medical advice. Um, you know, they, they need different coping strategies and the ones they have aren't successful or aren't working for them at that time. Um, I remember one night I got a return from a hospital. He was sent out, um, hypoxia and he came back in the rig. Um, and I didn't know that he was coming back. He was a surprise. So I didn't get report. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the vital signs from, from the EMTs and I see UTO on, on the oxygen. I was like, Oh, what's UTO? like oh unable to obtain you know like we tried three different oximeters we just couldn't get the oxygen i was like what okay you put yours on i'll put mine on 
and just keep him in, keep inside there. And, uh, yeah, I got 63% and they got 43%. Like put oxygen on now, please. He went up to 83%. And then he's like getting up, but still in the low nineties. So he wasn't at like he, per our protocols, he couldn't stay with us. So unfortunately I had to send him right back to the hospital. Um, so we have those things that don't really meet up with hospital requirements you know if the er is like oh like he's at 93 92 he's fine per their protocols but for our facility we can't accept that um you know i remember another uh, incident we had a we had a a little fire starter um (laughs) (laughs) a young man came to us and uh, you know, he, uh, he came from, um, being admitted, he was taking his meds. Um, and this is again, where I, where I'm like, okay, patient centered care first. First thing he asked me for was a cigarette. And I was like, sure. Like, I'll get you a cigarette. Let me take your vital signs first because I didn't want him to have like elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure after he's smoking. Um, but that's a situation where maybe I should have just given the cigarette and waited 30 minutes to do the rest of his intakes. He could like chill out, calm down. Yeah. Um, you know, so after the assessment, he wasn't really cooperative, didn't answer a lot of questions, asked to stop it. And uh, he was going outside to the smoking area. I was like, all right, I'll meet you and I'll bring you cigarettes and uh next thing i know i hear like cars screeching he jumped the fence like uh, like he's trying to go buy cigarettes or something i'm like oh uh, okay i like i have the bag right here come back come back like no i got your cigarettes (laughs) (gasps) oh no Uh, anyway so we couldn't do anything he's off property i'm like okay i told the security guard like please let us know when he returns. So he does. And he's like, all ripped up and, uh, his clothes are ripped. He's bloody, he's bleeding. He doesn't let me assess him. I'm like, I'm worried about you. Um, wow. I didn't what to do. So anyway, he goes back in his room. He leaves AMA by jumping over the fence, like two more times. Each time comes back and presents presents very differently. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like he just, like he needs some rest. Something was going on, you know. Uh, then I found out. I called the hospital to figure out, like, hey, like, how do I be successful with him? Like, what does he respond well to? Um, and then they let me know that his meds were coming by courier in the morning. I was like, oh, oh okay, thank you so much, courier. That'll be great. Um, Anyway, this individual ended up setting a fire outside of one of our exits, like a staff exit. It wasn't our only exit. Yeah. Um, But still, um, he was IT-aid after that incident. IT-aid, what does that mean? 86? Involuntary committed. Oh, involuntary committed. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, that's Uh, fair. You know, a danger to self and to others. Um, but that's where he found out like he was, he was involuntarily committed four times this past year. And we, we didn't know about it. So sometimes people use different names or we, we don't get the full story. 
um, for someone to be successful, but ultimately that wasn't a, a great fit to be at the site. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have, yeah, you have things like that where, yeah, um, it's just a lot of boundary setting. Um, I remember when I very, when I first started, like back in May, 2020, one individual kept asking for cigarettes, like one at a time, one at a time. And we're like, no, like this is affecting other people's care. Um, and then it pisses this guy off because he's waiting longer for something that he like physiologically needs to settle. Right. So um, we got okay to buy a bag of tobacco and rolling papers. So it's like, and I, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, my, my mental health clinical professor, like, w- would she be proud to know, like, I am having the boundary setting talk with, with this guest by, by providing him a, a bag of tobacco. Hey, you need to ration yourself. This needs to last you seven days. Okay, sir. All right. So figure out, you know, like what you usually need and, yeah. um, Fortunately, like the, the single cigarette option isn't available to you, but look, you have this big bag. Okay. Now, do you need like some little baggies to help par- portion it out for yourself? Okay. So, you know, you do things like that. That's like outside of your comfort zone, but you know, now it's in my comfort zone. Yeah. I could train other people and, you know, we're just rolling with it. Just roll with it. I, I want to talk a little bit. So they're like you just alluded to there are some folks that don't want to stay and they go and then mm-hmm. what's your like are you like okay okay well I guess they're gone and hope I mean you we I know obviously out in the community there are folks out there who are positive right there are every there are a lot I mean that's just the reality of life right now and other whatever anyway what what do you is there do you do anything if they leave and they're positive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we try to incentivize them to stay. Um, so we could say, you know, if you stay until the end of your quarantine, we can give you a tent and a sleeping bag. Like if they're on the street um, or say, you know, like stay one more day, let's try this other shelter. But if that ultimately doesn't happen, we'll try to give them transportation to wherever they want to go to. Some people like don't can't wait for that transportation to come. Um, so they'll walk or take a bus. And ultimately, we do have a duty to warn. So wherever they might have come from uh, a shelter or some other congregate setting, we'll call them and, and let them know um, that that individual might be on their way. Um, and just give them information about when the quarantine is over mm-hmm. for them. So they know that we accept them. But so I, I want to be clear that guests are incentivized to stay by receiving a letter at the end of their quarantine. So it's a letter that, that states all of their dates, positive, negative, symptom onset, discharge date. And with that congregate settings, will accept them because they know that they're no longer contagious. Right. So that's one incentive. Plus like, you know, the symptom management, having people who are nice and not judgmental and you get three meals a day and get snacks and you get a big bed and a bathtub to yourself. Like, but you know, yeah. sometimes 
hierarchy of needs are fucked up and for some for some people who you know need who who are like needing needing something else yeah I mean yeah one thing I haven't really talked about is like obviously there's they're sick a lot of them are sick like they need help like they're not feeling great and you yeah you alluded to symptom management so I mean none of these folks have IVs probably so it's just like can you give them Tylenol do you give them any kind of anything like that yeah we have a bunch of over-the-counter medicines um you know from like mm, Tylenol ibuprofen they'll double up on that um if they're constipated or having diarrhea, we can treat that. Uh, we have PP light for the kids. Um, uh, you know, eye drops. Just everything that you would find, like, in a, in a local over-the-counter pharmacy. Um, so, you know, for a lot of our individuals, like, it, you know, it sucks to be sick, too. Mm-hmm. And then with this Delta people were having the gamut of symptoms and they felt like shit and, you know, that affects their interactions as well. So I just let them know, like, they're like, I I don't want you suffering. So please call us, tell you how you're feeling. If you're feeling better, if something is getting worse, like, just let us know, but we're still going to check in with you twice a day to check on those symptoms. Um, you know, and if we have some really great providers who are available to us on call. So if someone is experiencing hypertension, um, we, we can easily transport them to a higher level of care, but we've also had our providers, um, order, order some hypertension medicines for them to get through quarantine before they follow up with a PCP outside, um, and sometimes that's us like printing off a bunch of different uh, like local clinics with phone numbers that they could call to set up an appointment um, and linking them to a lot of community resources that are in the area. So they do get that follow-up care. Let's talk about your, those services, those wraparound services. Mm-hmm. What, okay. what are they, so, or, I mean, what, or however you feel comfortable talking about it, but. So that's us with nursing, right? And we also have behavioral health staff. Um, some are, are uh, like licensed counselors. And so their function is to make sure that individuals have a location to discharge to. So they're doing a lot of calling around to the shelters, finding beds, finding space. But they're also helping people sign up for... Um, EBT benefits, housing benefits, um, and we can print off the applications. We can fax the applications for them. Um, you know, sometimes we'll have veterans come through, and um, we're able to uh, get them linked with um, with case managers there mm-hmm. for to follow up on housing or something else. Um, so, you know, even, you know, that those are, those are my teammates who are able to like print off coloring, like 
coloring things and and give it to kids so mom has like some time to relax right yeah um but yeah we do so much behind the scenes linking people to resources everybody is really a busy bee and I see so many people like going above and beyond of like, you know, what does this person need? Um, you know, they have a recent um, bipolar diagnosis. Let's get them into uh, like community meetings about it so they could have people who they could talk to about it and like peer counselors. Um, so, you know, we, we live in a really great area with a lot of services. So we're lucky to be able to like, have things in the community that we can link them to. So, and we're lucky to have like the staff that we have that know these things and can link people. That sounds like a great place to work. It sounds so fun, actually, as you were like talking about like checking in on your on the the guests. And um, I mean, obviously, it's probably hard too. But you know, if, they, if you're like you know, checking on on them, making sure they're set, got what they need, you know, that they're safe, that they're, you know, vitals are all right. And it's like, okay, well, how can we help you get through this? And, um, yeah, it sounds like, uh, a cool place to work. Um, I know you said who knows if the contract, I mean, currently your contract, the funding will be out up in March, but we'll see what happens. Um, what can we, is there a way that we can get involved in the community or is there a way that to help or is there anything you want us to know about the work that you do? Um, if you'd like to get involved, you can check out some staffing agencies in the area to see if they staff quarantine facilities and check out your local county um, medical reserve corps. Yeah, that uh, or is if so they have cool. A I, yeah. I want to write that down and put mm-hmm. that in the show notes. Medical yeah. Reserve um, yeah. They, you know, there's an orientation you need to go through for the medical reserve corps. And some people, some counties have public health reserve corps. And um, part of the orientation is to take some FEMA courses. Um, so you're, you're familiar with the National Incident Command System. Uh, for how communication happens during an emergency. Um, but there's so much training available. Um, they, they really like train up and manage up. So those are two ways to get involved. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I really love being in the public health side of nursing. Um, it's very human. Um, there's time for so much more interaction with people like on a, on a different, like one-on-one level. Um, especially, you know, I've learned so much about harm reduction here, checking my own bias. Um, you know, you have, you know, people who use drugs in, in all walks of life, you know, orthopedics has different drug users than maybe like plastic surgery than, than, than the individuals that I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Um, and I love meeting people where they are. I love this new language that I know how to use now, you know, like with, with harm reduction kits or like 
asking like the frequency or amount that people use and using the lingo just opens up a whole new world, makes rapport very easy to establish because people know that, you know, you know a little bit about their world. And, you know, sometimes I'm so vulnerable with that. I'm like, oh, I, oh what, what does that mean? Um, uh, yeah, just, um, you know, everybody, everybody is going through, going through their life, right? And I, I, I guess my message is like, just to use trauma-informed care, like with everybody that you encounter, like with your patients, like think about what might've happened to them, you know, just like with your family members, think about what they're going through and how that affects them and their presentation. And, you know, we're just here helping people go down their road. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Um, I'm sure I don't know. It just feels like that's really good work, you know, really good work, heartwarming, heartwarming work. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it sounds so cool. You learned so much. You learned about yourself and it's informed your practice and it will probably inform your, I'm sure it already does, informs your practice at the bedside when you're um, doing inpatient work. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you're so cool, Emily. Thanks for sharing all this on the show. I've like got like this image in my mind of you using the ham uh, ham radio because <laughs> you <laughs> mentioned that you did that with the medical reserve. Like that's so cool. Um, any closing thoughts for the show today, or did we touch on? Any, did we not touch on anything you wanted to talk about? I think I think we gave like a nice overview of of what we do in quarantine of like what we do public health wise um yeah just we're um thank you for letting me present a little bit about you know we're we're all in this like supply chain of pandemic right so thank you for letting me share this little part of of what happens in in pandemic work yeah yeah, no problem. It's been great. It's fun to see you again and um, via Zoom. And yeah, I, oh, I should ask you, are you on social media and do you want me to tag you? Yeah, I am. My Instagram is uh, yawar.miski. Yawar. It, Can you spell it? Y-A-W-A-R dot M-I-S-K-Y. Just like it sounds. You're right. Yawar.miski. Yep. Um, Cool. Well, if you want to follow what Emily's up to, follow her on yawar.miski. She'll be tagged in the post. Also, I'm going to link up the impact study, the medical reserve core, and um, maybe a a link about quarantine facilities in the Seattle area. so fun to talk to you. So meaningful. Thank you for doing the work that you do. You're a gift. And um, I love what your mission is. It, you know, hopefully you can just work sometimes in the couple in a couple years. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I love it. You're young. I mean, and also, yeah, it sounds like a fantastic plan. Um, and yeah, I'll just close this one out by saying stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.
that was so fun. You did such a great job. I loved it. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.